0: I'm to bloody good screen. We haven't done one of these for a while, but um, we are back with a new set of interviews just in time for Fright Fest. Don't you know uh, this week's guest has a brand new film premiering at Fright Fest this year. Uh, the film is che- power toward cheerleaders versus the oh man, you're going to again, oh, man, you're like- gonna have to say it
1: a lot of times. It, it's the law. You've got to always say the full title as well. I will not get away. I will not let you get away with the abbreviations. So go for oh, it. You, 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 you.
0: <laughs> <coughs> Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the boy band of Screech of the, of the Screeching Dead. Oh, the Screeching Dead. Yes, excellent. Well done. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> he is an indie horror, horror uh, director and writer, and uh, actually. Happy to have him on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast this week, Pat Higgins.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me, Mark. It's a delight to be here. Sitting on the hottest day of the year. (laughs) there's nothing I like more (laughs) than crouching over a microphone. drowning in my own sweat it's a delight to be here it's really good <laughs>
0: oh i know the feeling
1: <laughs>
0: what we like to do here on bloody your screen is force people from all over the world of media to pick free films they love because i am a bastard but what i like to ask like i like, ask all of my guests is how did you get into the horror genre uh-
1: it's an interesting. I, I was a very nervy kid. Um, it, I wasn't someone who immediately gravitated towards scary stuff. In fact, when I was four, I went on local radio to complain that the poster for Scanners was too scary. Um, I, w- I was genuinely flipped out by stuff. I, I was like too nervous to watch Scooby-Doo, all that sort of thing. And, and that kind of carried on all the way through my childhood. And It was really only when I saw Alien, when I was about 13, and that was like the first proper horror movie that I saw. That I realised that I all of my fears had been um, unnecessary because it the the stuff that was on the screen wasn't as bad as the stuff that was in my brain. <laughs> and that, so I think I'd cowered. I you know I'd been genuinely terrified that that horror movies would be more than I could possibly take. Um, and then as soon as I started watching them, I went no, this is fine. (laughs) And so (laughs) so then when I hit about 13, I kind of went into catch-up mode. And from not having seen anything, I tried to watch everything. You know, you you try and catch up on the entire kind of 100-year history of horror. Um, Um, And it, it... became my genre it became the the one that i loved I, I mean up until that point i'd always been a kind of sci-fi fantasy kind of kid you know i was mm. a star wars kid i was all that sort of thing but then as i say saw alien and the whole thing kind of clicked and then a, a year or so later saw the shining and then everything really kind of came into focus so that was really it and so by the time i was actually in the position to be entering the industry i was a horror guy and then once i'd done more than a couple I was once advised on a on a career advisory panel. Uh, I was once advised to never try and do anything other than horror. I was told that <laughs> I, I have a little box and not to try and get cross and break my way out of it. Because as long as I stay in my little box, I'll have an ongoing career. But I always think that horror kind of works like a Trump suit in a way. So actually, any any movie can be considered a horror movie if it ticks certain elements, you know. So you can write a rom com, and as long as you stick a ghost in it, it's suddenly a, ho- a horror movie. So I don't find it very restrictive.
0: Hmm. It's a, it's a genre full of subgenres. It's one of those kind of lovely little genres which you don't get as much of in other genres. Like you don't get comedy. With so much as you do in horror, or you know, rom coms, or any of that, so no, it's it's something you can you can work on, like 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 your new movie is going to be, but we'll talk about that later on. Yeah. Um, so, when did you kind of start out in your career? Because didn't you do a bit of kind of acting work before you did your first film, Trash House?
1: I I, I was doing stand up before um, okay. Trash House. I, I I ran a comedy club for about three years, and so. um met an awful lot of comedians. So Trash House has actually got a bunch of comedians in it because I knew comedians and I didn't know actors because I'd come from a kind of stand-up background. Um, and at that point really it was at the 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 end of kind of independent uh, films being shot on sort of 16 millimeter super 16 and our and Trash House was one of the really one of the kind of first early no budget digital British horror movies, Um, and so there was such a lack of um, there was such a lack of content. It meant that we were able to get a decent distribution deal for it, even though it really has what you might charitably call some technical flaws. Uh, We were able to get a a decent distribution deal for it because there were only sixteen British horror movies made that year. Because uh, mm. in the before the great digital dawn, before that democratized everything, the fact that we were able to kind of hop on there before everybody did that meant that the marketplace was like, "What? You've got a horror movie," whereas <laughs> now they're sort of drowning in them. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that was cool. But no, it, you know, I, it was really stand up was something that I I did. Um, and I was always a a film fan and I was always writing scripts as well. I just wasn't successfully selling them. Um, I knocked around on, on, you know, I did unpaid run and work and all that sort of thing. So I was knocking around on film sets. I was the dude who cleared up dead pigeons. Um, uh, (laughs) yeah, but so that, that was, that was how it all started, I guess. Okay, cool. So before we go into kind of
0: your previous work and a new movie, what I'd like to do here on the podcast is force people to pick free films that they actually love, because I am an absolute bastard. So, what
1: is your first
0: bloody good screen?
1: My my first is Fred Decker's Night of the Creeps. Classic movie. It is indeed a classic movie. It, it's it's one that I... It was, it was a real turning point for me, as I say, because um, I think because I was kind of late to educating myself about Horror, and it wasn't really until I was sort of thirteen uh, that I was then mopping up all these classics. And I think Night of the Creeps was one of the first movies that I came across. Obviously, in those pre-kind of internet days, uh, where you know I was reading books on horror, I, I picked up um, you know uh, books. Stuff by uh, Jonathan Ross' Incredibly Strange film book, Kim Newman's work, all of that sort of thing. And so I was reading through all of those, and I was getting this sense of what were the classics of the genre, and I was trying to watch them. And I think Night of the Creeps was the first one that I found on my own without someone telling me, go find it. And I think uh, uh, someone recorded it for me, or I recorded it off Sky Movies at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I watched it, and I just thought, this is amazing. But it was one of the ones that I, that I kind of came across without having been recommended it, and I think that made a huge difference. Actually, Bad Taste was another one like that, Peter Jackson's first. But um, Night of the Creeps just encapsulated for me a load of stuff that actually, you know, if, if, if anybody ever sat down and watched everything I've ever written, they would see the influence of Night of the Creeps running through it like a stick of rock. Uh, I mean, the, a lot of the kind of imagery, a lot of the kind of tone... Has bled through into stuff that I've written or stuff that I've directed over the years. Um, because I just loved it. I, I, there was something about the way, the playfulness of it. Uh, the fact that it does throw in a bit of sci fi. Uh, it's got these, these really kind of sweet and anchored performances in the middle of it with all this kind of outrageous gore going on. There's actually a, a I think a, a, a niceness to it. It cares about its characters and even when it kills them, it regrets it. Um, and a lot of that uh has really kind of informed my work. And let's face it, it's killer slugs from outer space getting disappearing down people's throats, and there's little rubbery <laughs> monstery things running around. I mean, it's just a fantastically good time. Uh <laughs> Tom Atkins is is obviously the one that everybody kind of goes to in terms of his performance, which is just mega. But Jason Lively's a really appealing lead. You've got Jill Whitlow who just kicks ass in it. It's really, really, really good fun. Uh and if anybody out there hasn't checked out Night of the Creeps, please do, because it's awesome. Again, absolutely
0: Pig, And yeah, you can't go remember that one really. <laughs> Nothing else like much else I can add to that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Trash House came out. You know, It got a good plug of distributor. So distribute he does um let's be in a grave and yeah. face of fear and that kind of thing. Um you had it then going to, is it Killer Killer and Hellbride?
1: Yeah, we because um, Trash House got, um, as I say, got fairly wide distribution, particularly over here, uh, and it got a, a nice little note in Empire um, from Kim Newman and Kim Newman's Video Dungeon, the first time we'd kind of been in there, and he was quite nice about it, uh, or at least nice about the ideas of it, although obviously noted the dodgy tech credits. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so off the back of Trash House, we were able to put together what should have been the budget for another movie. And we somehow stretched it out to do two back-to-back over the summer of 2006, which was Hellbride and Killer Killer. Uh, We brought them in under budget uh, to the tune of about a grand and a half. So we still had a grand and a half sitting in the bank account. And we decided in our youthful naivety that we'd do another movie with the grand and a half. So we did that, which was a, a fake documentary called The Devil's Music because we figured, you know, if, if we go the fake documentary route, an awful lot of it's talking heads, you know, we can bring it in really, really, really cheap. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, that's still one of my favorite things we've ever shot. So so those three movies, Killer Killer, Hellbride uh, and The Devil's Music, all kind of came in the same sort of the same production block. They're all within a year. Uh, and it was Hellbride and Killer Killer were straight through back to back. So that was a busy summer um Mm. and then some months later we went straight in with devil's music as well so uh yeah that was that was a that was a busy time um but it was fun it was good looking back that was another hot summer like like this one and if you're ever going to be covered in fake blood that attracts flies and things like that the height of summer is Mm -hmm. obviously the time to do it for every potential cast member out there
0: plus you know Hot weather and flies. It's extra bit you don't have to pay for, do you? Go. Exactly. It just adds that adds that little atmosphere. It's great. Awesome. So then on, so then obviously then you got Bordello Death Tales, you had had a sequence in that one. Um yeah, and Goria did describe you as the most promising British Horror Director, which must be nice. Um,
1: <laughs> one of the, the there is the caveat on that. It's not it's not necessarily <laughs> the most one of the most promising. But it was very lovely, yeah, for Fangoria. Um <laughs> And yeah, so we did <laughs> we did uh, Bordello Death Tales, uh, which is an anthology movie with three writer-directors. Um, and then we were asked to do a sequel to that in order to get it into the supermarkets. Uh, and so we did that. We shot that as Battlefield Death Tales, but it never came out under that title. It came out all, all over the world under different titles. In this country, it was called Nazi Zombie Death Tales. Um, In in America, it was called Angry Nazi Zombies. I later found out that was because at that particular point, Revolver were only um, putting out horror movies that began with A, so they'd be first on the physical racks when you walked into (laughs) into DVD shops. Uh, Because I always thought Angry Nazi Zombies, I thought the angry was a bit superfluous if you've got Nazi and zombies in there. But... um, so they did that, and uh, yeah. So those, those two um, anthology movies, as I say, we we shot. I shot those with uh, Jim Eves, who's based down in Southampton. Who's an amazing writer director. He's really really cool. Uh, and Al Ronald, who's a phenomenal writer director, who's also often my director of photography.
0: Very good, Dave. I'm I'm going through. I'm working through your back catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> you have, we have to go through the back catalogue to find out uh, where you got got to here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The, the new film you know, screening at Fright Fest as that's a, that's a very good, you know... Yeah. Fright Face is, is, is the big one. It I mean, is. That's, that's where, you, where you want to be. It but, is. Um, very happy. But you also spend a lot of time at Horror on Sea as well.
1: I certainly do. Horror on Horror Sea is very much my home. I'm, I, which I'm, is an amazing event. It is. Have you been down there? I've been once,
0: but I keep getting invited down.
1: But uh, Oh, it's great. Every year I do like a, an hour and a half uh, sort of show, talk, workshop something like that at horror on sea i've done that ever since it started 2013 um and i love it horror, horror on sea is my my spiritual festival home because uh, it's my hometown so it's based in really? south end um yeah they I, I cannot sing their praise enough and if you've never gone to horror on sea do that and obviously do fright fest as well because fright fest has the premiere of our new movie
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's a thing i read right up and i don't know if it how true this is but um I mean, you screened House of Witch Pit. Yeah. What's this about? You destroyed the master copy of this.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, that oh. was. <laughs> what, what year was that? 2016. Yeah. We, uh, uh, yeah. yeah we, we shot House in the Witch Pit uh, in 2015. We screened it once at Horoncy, sold out crowd. Uh, and then I went on stage, destroyed the master copy, and then destroyed the backup. Um, and, and I think at the time people thought, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I bet. And then. Now, here we are, six and a half years later, they've kind of gone, Oh, you really did do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was fun. Um, it, it did exist again briefly in a different version. There was a, uh, because I, I destroyed the edit and I did genuinely do that. Um, obviously, the, the rushes, the original footage still existed. And so, some years later, I cut together a completely different version. Um, Mm -hmm. which we made available for one night on Halloween night. I can't even remember what year that was uh, via Amazon prime. So you could watch it on that one night on Halloween night. And then I wiped that one as well. And that has also genuinely disappeared. So um, yeah, that's, that's been it for house on the witch pit. There's only been those two opportunities to watch it. If people have been, if people have been so inclined, scarcity is the new rock and roll (laughs) in a world of infinite content. The only thing anybody cares about is the stuff they can't watch. Exactly, but they definitely can't watch yeah. it, all. yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, what's cooler than that? Uh, and it, it's also there is, you know, that it's, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit William Castle, I suppose, but it is that sort of thing where I kind of go, It House of the Witch was a very, very, very low budget movie, even by my standards. It was, it was shot incredibly uh, cheaply. It was a very, very um, difficult time period in terms of actually getting stuff done, and so it got uh. Because there was loads and loads of other stuff going on, but it had been a really long time since I'd had a film out, so mm-hmm. it, we had a really unconventional shooting schedule. We put it together in a very, very strange way. It was a very unusual film, and then I really liked the idea that we could take this really unusual film and and make it make it go away. That you know the fact that we were able to to have a proper premiere for it and and had a paying public audience and then I would just destroy it. I thought was was a kind of rock and roll thing to do. There will be one day you see I promised at the time that I was going to go and do some kind of final edit for it and 5 years after the premiere I told the, I can't even remember if I said this publicly or whether I just sort of had it in my, whether <laughs> it was just the voices in my head I can't even remember. Um but I, there was an idea at the time that 5 years after it screened I would lock it and release a final cut of it in some form or another. Uh, but that ran out last January, so January before this one. Um, there We shot a load of new material for it in 2019 uh, that's never been seen by anybody. And so that's different to anything that was in the Horror on Sea version, anything that was different to the version that was available on Amazon. Um, and I'm not entirely sure where it's going to go from there. It will one day surface, but I really like the fact that it's this tiny, tiny micro-budget movie, even by my standards, and everybody still asks me about it. Because you put so much hype on it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. No one it can't live up to it cannot live up to it now at all. So and I think that's part of the final version of it, the idea because there is a final version sitting on a hard drive that was meant to be the final version, We've got a sound mix for it, got it all graded and everything. And it's never left my hard drive because I keep looking at it and going, if this is actually going to be the final twist of the Rubik Cube, if this is going to be the final shape this movie takes, I mm-hmm. want it to be exactly as I want it. Um, and having locked it basically I kind of took a step back and thought I still don't think this is quite it so um, one day we'll come back to it and it will be available at some point but um, but as I say if the other versions of it are gone forever they're dust but the footage that was taken will turn into a version of House and the Witch bit one day a secondary
0: director's cut in a
1: way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although they're all director's cuts, they're just different movies. I mean, the one that the one that was on um, Amazon for the night was another fake documentary, and the, the original uh, the horror and C version was a cinematic film. You know, so they are significantly different. It's not like I'm just sort of <laughs> taking a scene out or something. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Awesome. Cool. Well, now we've caught up. <laughs> free, free uh, uh, that was the best career summary I've ever gone through because you missed out Strippers versus Wells entirely, which is <laughs> it. I mean, no, no, now. no, I no, no. no. That, I, 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 I just, you know, I, I, was, I was grateful. Uh, I, I think it's respectful and, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Talking about strippers and werewolves, what yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'll do before we get on to your brand new movie, which um, has got quite a lot of hype in the in the horror circles as well. So we'll talk about this when it gets to that. Let's find out what your second bloody good screen is.
1: My second bloody good screen is Little Shop Horrors, the nineteen eighty six version. Um exactly. because there you go. Partly because, I mean, as we'll get to in a bit, my new film is a musical, and so I kind of felt I needed to throw a musical into the mix here, Um, Mm -hmm. and I got really preoccupied um, with Little Shop of Horrors, specifically, actually, the work print. Um, which is it's one of these movies... As people are usually aware of it now. I think it was one of these things that used to be one of these kind of shock horror trivia things, that uh, as originally shot, the plants take like over the world, everybody dies. Um, that's that's the ending of Little Shock Horrors 86 as it was originally shot. When it was test-screened, Orange County absolutely detested this ending, hated it to the skies despite having loved the, music, the movie before that. Warner Brothers panicked, reshot the ending with a, uh, a happy ending, Um, And that was the theatrical version that we got. Then um, there's a director's cut that uh, came out a few years back. And the director's cut is basically the theatrical cut with the original Everybody Dies ending, except it's an extended version. It's a really long version of the Everybody Dies ending. And so my preoccupation with the forest, which I love, I, I love it in all versions. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I actually I've got a lot of love for the theatrical. I like a good happy ending. Me, um, I'm ridiculously soft when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, as actually, you know, the the number of times in <laughs> number of times in my movies, you can almost see me hesitate with the knife, not kill off a character because I just like them too much. You know, I I'm, I make no bones about that. I, I'm soft. <laughs> Because <laughs> of that sort of stuff, <laughs> but and so Nostradamus, I'm perfectly happy with the ending where where everybody lives. Um, the director's cut, I've got a little bit of a problem with because I think the the extended ending with the plants eating the the world uh, goes on too long because um, they basically used every sort of of footage that you can possibly find for it. And so it goes on longer than the song does. You get these kind of extended instrumental breakdowns with some fantastic visual effects work to it, but it it kind of kills the pace of it to me. And it was only some years later that someone leaked onto Vimeo um, various sequences from the work print, which I don't know if you've ever come across. Uh, They're they're still floating around on YouTube and on Vimeo, but they're fascinating because if you look at the the work print, which was the one that screened, you know, this was the one that the audience didn't like. And there's all of these moments through it that are nastier. Than the than what was in the theatrical and because the di- the so-called directs cut is actually just the theatrical with the grim ending on it it feels like too much of a tonal gear change to me it feels like it goes from this happy movie. To this, this bleak ass ending, you know. Um, whereas if you check out the work print stuff, you've got things like Rick Moranis feeding Steve Martin's severed head to the plant. You've got, um, blood splashing all over the little baby bird version of Audrey, too. And I think that if you, if you look at it in those, in that context, it can only be leading to the everybody dies ending. And the everybody dies ending on the work print is much shorter than the one that's on the director's cut. And it plays like this wham bam kind of blast of giddy monster madness. And so, to me, the work print version, which is how the film was originally meant to be, which has still never really been released, is just a perfect mix of all the best elements of of both of them Um, because you don't get this abrupt tonal gear change because obviously the theatrical is actually built to have a happy ending on it and when you whack Mm -hmm. the director's cut on it it doesn't quite work but yeah if you uh anybody who's never really come across Little Shop of Horrors me talking about the minutiae of the difference between three different cuts is probably not the best (laughs) way of selling it (laughs) but that's that's one of the reasons why it's continued to preoccupy me because it fascinates me where the soul of a movie lies. And I think if you look at those yeah. three versions of Little Shop of Horrors, you can pin down somewhere in there, there's, this is what this film is. And beyond that, it's, it's incredible. It's funny. The songs are fantastic. The special effects work is just through the roof. Um, you know, the, it's career best performances from everybody concerned. It's a joy. Yeah. It, is Rick, yeah, it is Rick Moranis's best film. It in is. My yeah, no, I'll second that. he's ju- But he was born for... It. He was just born mm-hmm. to be Seymour. Obviously, in the original version, you've got Jonathan Hayes as Seymour, which is a very kind of different sort of turn. Uh, but to me... Uh, you- Rick Moranis is building on all the stage Seymours who've come on who've come between, because you've obviously got the musical having developed. And he to me is just the definitive article. He's wonderful in this movie. Uh and and it's such a giddy dollop of wonderful black humour, musical madness, visual eye candy. It's just lovely. Uh and, and anybody who considers themselves um any kind of fan of, of movie madness needs to to remember why they fell in love with the 86 Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Awesome pick.
0: Absolutely awesome pick. You can't go wrong with Little Shop of Horrors. It's a classic. Rick Ransom's best movie. Some of the best songs as well. So, no, great pick. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> so, let's go on to your brand new movie, which is, again, being premiered over at Fright Fest this August.
1: Are you um, going to try and get out? Saying the title again.
0: Of course, uh, power <laughs> tall cheerleaders versus the boy band of the Screeching Dead. That's, the, um, one. That's
1: very, very good. Well, <laughs>
0: there we go. <laughs> yeah. So why why horror musical? Why did you go for the musical route?
1: Um, I first I first lobbied for a. Um, uh, after we did the two Death Tales movies, as I said, we did the second one kind of at the behest of supermarkets because they said, if you can get us a World War II-themed anthology movie by August, we can get it on the shelves of all the supermarkets. And I was like, okay. So we did that one really kind of, really quick, really very, very low budget, really on the fly in order to take advantage of a, like a retail window. Um, mm-hmm. And when that came out, and it, again, it got, distribution didn't get quite as good reviews as the first one actually at least certainly my chapter didn't which is obviously awful um but but, uh we then kind of banded around the other because who does two movies you know you don't do two movies you do a trilogy and when we were talking about doing a third um we talked about doing a christmas one we talked about this that and the other um and i just kept going guys let's do a musical and and both jim and al were like no, <laughs> no, let's not do a musical. But Al had actually done a musical number in Bordello Death Tales. In his story in Bordello Death Tales, there's a musical number in Stitch Girl, which is brilliant. And, and so I, I was quite besotted with the idea, you know, and I started kind of writing songs. The, the Devil's Music, that the, the fake documentary I mentioned, had like four songs in it because it was a, a movie about rock bands. And it had about four songs in it that I'd written that then uh, Phil Sheldon, who's this incredible multi-instrumentalist, uh, uh, he's been my composer since 2006. I'm incredibly blessed to uh be honored to work with Phil Sheldon and uh so what we'd done on Devil's Music was that I'd sort of sketched together these songs with the lyrics and the basic structure and then Phil had turned them into this incredible rock and roll music and I thought well that that worked really well on the Devil's Music and maybe we could do that again maybe we could do that for this hypothetical um Death Tales movie and uh and then the the other guys weren't quite so into it. And then we didn't get around to doing a third Death Tales. And then it felt, I think, to a degree, like the moment had kind of passed. Um, and then I, I, I'd i been toodling around with an idea for for something called Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the Boy Band of the Screeching Dead, which wasn't originally a musical. Um, but I tweeted that title. And Charlie Bond, who was our producer and our star, picked up on, on my tweet and said, we're making this movie. And uh, it was after she'd kind of picked up on it and got very into the idea that I suddenly thought, oh, and we can make it a musical. And to her credit, she went, okay. (laughs) 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 And, And that's kind of what we did
0: it's not a bad way of doing it. I mean, Fright Fest do love a a nice uh, horror musical.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some out there. um, and I must admit we were into, uh, we were into pre-production or at least sort of way into development by the time uh, Anna and the Apocalypse came out. And Mm -hmm. I approached that so warily because I thought I I had this horrible feeling it was going to be brilliant and I had, which it is, but I also had a horrible feeling it was going to do everything that I wanted to do. Um, yeah, yeah. and actually I was very relieved when I saw it, because I thought it was absolutely brilliant, I love that movie, uh, but it was very good it, sorry? It's a good film. It is, and, but it was very different to what I'd intended, it was basically yeah. high school musical with with Zombies, whereas ours was a bit more uh, guitar distort, uh, you know, ours is a bit more, I yeah. can't say a bit more metal than that, but it, it's kind of, you know, it <laughs> is. it's not the high school musical vibe, so I was quite comfortable once I saw it, no, there's plenty of clear blue water between the intentions of the two movies.
0: Yeah. So, tell us a bit about the movie. Give us a bit of a, a plot breakdown without too much spoiler.
1: Yeah. It, well, it's it follows a TV talent show um, called Spotlight Chasers where you have a rivalry between a an amateur cheerleading squad led by Emily, who's played by Charlie Bond, and their biggest rivals are the Starmen, who are a squeaky, squeaky clean boy band uh, led by Hunter, who, well, sort of led by Hunter. Hunter's Led by Hunter, played by James Hamer-Morton, and also kind of by Mark, who's played by Mark Stewart. Um, we've also got a character called Connor, who's played by Justin Chinia. So you've got you've got these three guys uh, in in the boy band and these five girls in the cheerleading squad, and this rivalry develops between them then the then a cursed amulet comes into play there's all sorts of horrible shenanigans zombies get involved in it and uh, everybody needs to put get their act together and start acting like a proper team before everything takes a turn for the apocalyptic Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and as I say, we've got 12 songs along the way with with mm. uh, heart-rending ballads like I'm Just a Guy Dying on the Floor um, and, <laughs> and, yeah, Intros to Death Scenes. Actually, Intros to Death Scenes is my probably my favourite song in the movie. Um, I'm proud of that one. But, uh, yeah, so, and that's it. How, how do- I have heard a little bit of
0: that, and it is
1: quite fun. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we put that out during the Kickstarter campaign, actually. We put out yeah, a yeah. version with where I said about Phil Sheldon, we put it out with Phil's original vocals on it. So obviously that's that's now uh, got all our cast vocals on it, and I think it's in a different key nowadays. But, um, but yeah, that was our first teaser that we kind of put out there to hopefully reassure people that, yeah, we could make a musical see it can be done. exactly <laughs> i've got to admit it's one of the ones
0: that i've kind of seen in the list and i thought i love the title i need to watch this film so that's why, that's why i want to get you wanted to kind of you know give oh. it more, more you know light on it as well so Dance, um, no it, it, it does sound absolutely amazing and he got quite a good cast of uh, up and comers there as well so yeah absolutely uh Hopefully the the White Press audience
1: will love it. I really hope so. I'm so, so grateful to the whole team that we had. I mean, it started off with myself and Charlie Bond and James Hamer Morton, and it was really the three of us uh, initially. We were then lucky enough to bring on Al Ronald, who, as I say, is my kind of regular collaborator, um, as Director of Photography, who's done a phenomenal job on the movie. We have Phil Sheldon, as I say. my So we've been so lucky. And then we brought on all this wonderful cast, and we've got, yeah, it, it, it was such a great team. I'm so honoured to have worked with a whole lot of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm really proud of the movie, and I think people are going to like it.
0: So if people obviously don't have their their pass and they want to come and see just that one movie when are your showings for uh
1: it's uh, august 29th uh which is the monday it's 6 30 which is just after mark kermode i believe um so yeah it's on discovery screen two i think mm. um yeah and i think the tickets go on sale. i don't know when the. i don't know when this podcast's going up tickets go on sale this, uh, I'll, this I'll get it out
0: then. quick Fantastic.
1: The, this Saturday, I think the single tickets go on sale for it. So when's that? Saturday twenty third. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Again,
0: um before we let you go, we need to find out your third pick. So um yep. Yep. what is your third good read?
1: My f- my third one is Gremlins. Uh, I've realized actually, uh, after you know, considering I'm a horror guy coming on a horror podcast, and out of my <laughs> choices, uh, one of them's a PG and one of them's a 12, which does make me sound uh, slightly even however, more soft hearted.
0: <laughs> however, bloody classics you can't go wrong with. <laughs> thank
1: you. Thank you. Gremlins was again one of those um, life redefiners, kind of, you know, where I said that uh, Night of the Crux was one of those horror movies that I found myself. Uh, but gremlins, uh, I would, when it first came out of the cinema, uh, it was given the 15 after it was, yeah, it was initially given a 15 the cinema. is now down to 12, but, uh, it was given the 15 after they'd already got all the toys in the shop. They'd already got all the stickers out. They'd got all this sort of thing. Um, and so as a kid, I'd been looking forward to this. Oh, wow. There's this new movie coming out and here's the dolls and here's the whatever. And then suddenly I couldn't see it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was obsessed with it from the the point it was released at the cinema, uh, which was, uh, I believe, 7th of December, 84, round right about there. I had to wait nearly a year uh, for it to actually get released on VHS, at which point, obviously, my parents would have to go, even though you're not 15, we will let you watch this one because you haven't mm-hmm. spoken about anything else all year. And by the time, <laughs> it, by the time it came out, I think I'd seen elements of very nearly every shot in the movie the only shot in the mm. movie i can remember surprising me was the shot of stripe uh, uh, sinking down in the swimming pool of him underwater holding his nose and i thought i haven't seen a still of that um but yes, everything yes. I obsessively i every single thing i could get my hands on um to do with gremlins and uh, you know I, obviously i've read the novelization and the children's version of the novelization and collected every sticker every whatever i was obsessed with the thing um and as a result i've once it came out on vhs i used to rent it every week um i would get my pocket money i would take my pocket money i would go down and rent gremlins and and that was the thing until my parents bought me an ex-rental of it which again the, it's really hard for people i think sometimes to get to understand the way that video culture works you didn't buy movies and uh movies you know that would be out in the shops that you would rent, but you didn't buy X rentals of them. And my parents, it was six months after it came out on VHS, my parents paid £55 for an ex-rental Gremlins. and that So that would have been in 1986. So I don't know what the equivalent of 55 quid in 1986 is now, um, kind of but it's a lot. Uh, so as a result, I've seen Gremlins, I think, 93 times um so i've seen it more than any other movie including probably every movie i've ever made
0: it is a classic i mean come on you can't beat gremlins can you um and it was a lot darker i mean obviously number two is quite light high yeah that, that was obviously more more a family film you got a whole kogan in it for god's sake but you know <laughs> at least did this one is, is much darker it's same with like critters it's very similar kind of age group that they're kind of aiming for yeah but you're going to get very cute little toy toys of, of Gizmo, and you're going to want to sell them. But um, no, I mean it's one of the it's a Christmas movie. I'll, I'll fight that to death. But it's a it's a horror Christmas movie. You can't go wrong with it.
1: It, it is, absolutely. <laughs> It's got um. It, it's got it's got that mix of sweetness and crunch to it, kind of the same as uh, Night of the Creeps, where. It it does feel invested in its central romance, but it's also quite happy to catapult old ladies out of windows. You know, it's got that mixture um of sweet and sour of of light and dark it's got some wonderfully splattery puppety special effects i mean hopefully anybody listening to the podcast will have already seen gremlins what i'm really trying to persuade them is that tonight they need to watch it again and they need to keep watching it until they fall asleep and then they put the the thing on circle so when they wake up they go oh i've missed a bit of gremlins then they can just sign themselves <laughs> off work for the week, you know, maybe phone in sick and try and catch me up because I'm on 93. And if other people can beat that, that's how they win my respect.
0: <laughs> if they can beat that, you're going to give them a copy <laughs> of your book, you film you for free.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, 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 they will win my undying respect. If, if you, oh, if, fair enough. <laughs> if you've seen over 93 times, hit me up on Twitter, a Pat Higgins film on Twitter, um, so yeah, let me know if you've seen Gremlins over 93 times, and I will then have to catch up with them, so if someone goes, oh, I've seen it 97 times, I'll have to stay up all night watching it another four times, and I can live with that because that's living my best life
0: That's going to be a constant battle now you know this, don't you? Oh yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, so uh, Power Tool Cheerleaders versus The Boy Banders, of Dead will be at Fright Fest August 29th if you have your passes, go and get it Get your tickets at described the there. Go and get your tickets at the Discovery Screen now. Um if you are getting single tickets, go and get it booked in by the time this podcast is out. Hopefully you should be getting in a queue now for it. Um but do go give it a check out. Um I know some of the guys from the website are really looking forward to seeing this. I know Chloe from on the podcast, is it's on her list of things to watch as well. Oh, so fantastic! Um, I'm hoping we can get, get, get grab her in for a chat next uh, next podcast after fest and get her thoughts on it as well.
1: So Brilliant! And if she um, doesn't like it, cut that bit out. <laughs> I <enjoy> <laughs> <laughs> What are you working on next? What's, what's next for you? Um, I've I've been on that a couple of times actually. Um, my my screenwriting focus has fallen back on. There's a, a project that I've had bubbling away for a while. Um, that was called Chainsaw Fairy Tale, and I think is probably now called Fairy Tale Princesses versus the Horror Genre. Um, I'm very fond of that. I like that screenplay an awful lot. But I've also got a number of other ones um, that uh, that. <sighs> That have come to the fore or, or fallen back over the years, and I might potentially look at selling a couple of those to third parties. I mean, I don't, ru- I, I don't direct everything that I've written. Um, sometimes I will kind of sell out spec scripts and stuff like that. So, so when once Power Tool comes out, I might concentrate a little bit on seeing if I can find a home for. I wrote a, a script called um, Your Lying Eyes, which I wrote a number of years ago, which I'm still extremely proud of. Your Lying Eyes is a much more straightforward thriller. It's a kind of dark edged thriller um it that was the script that first ever got me representation it was a script that that actually got an awful lot of interest it then got optioned out in the states uh but then the, they weren't able to get the budget together the option lapsed and so that kind of came back home to me so I might concentrate a little bit on trying to find another home for your lying eyes because i say it's it's a script that I'm really fiercely proud of but I th- suspect that however long it takes the next one i'll end up directing will probably be chainsaw fairy tale Awesome,
0: brilliant! Thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's again, been a go joy. And check, <laughs> <laughs> again, go and check out Power Torch Killers versus the Boy Band of the Creeping Dead. I've done it multiple times now. Yeah, you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, give g- give your thoughts out to us over on the uh, on on Twitter as well when you do finally see it. And uh, hopefully, I'll get Chloe to give her thoughts on it as well. Um, as always. Uh, so, Otherwise, I think I'd need to ask a question as well. Where can people find you if you'd like to be found?
1: Um, yeah, Twitter's Twitter's really kind of where I hang out. Um, so it's uh, at Pat Higgins Film. On Twitter is probably the easiest one. Well, I'm on, um, you know, most other platforms as well, but a lot of them I don't bother with. So see you know, Twitter, every day you do log into it and then once in a while you go, oh, i have forgotten about Instagram and you go onto Instagram. And it's <laughs> like, I've got messages going back like eight months or whatever since I last logged in and then you just feel awful about it. So yeah, if you actually want any kind of response, just drop me a line. <laughs> on Twitter. (laughs) Don't Instagram it. No, no, no. There is an account, but it's very inert.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Again, uh, thank you to Pat for coming on the podcast today. Uh, As always, a shout-out to our sponsor, Abominable Book Club. They're the UK's best horror and thriller book box service. They've been sponsoring us for... God knows how long over read Bloody Good Reads, and it's both Snake by Horror and Bloody Good Screen as well. Um, they are they bring you the wonders of a haunted bookshop right to your door every month. You've got the Full Cuts box, which is a brand new book, a possibly haunted second-hand book, and either another brand new book or a copy of Black Static or Ghastling magazine. Uh, you also get snacks, drinks pins anything anything kind of horror related that they can get into that box and they've done some amazing stuff in there or if just want the books which is fine books are awesome we love books here at um bloody good screen just go for the bare bones box as well use the code bloody good reads at check out to get 10 off your first box as well um you can also catch me over at twitter at bloody underscore screen <clears throat> you can catch us over on instagram at bloody goodreads and you can catch us over on facebook at the bloody goodreads book club uh where we've got a few authors and other people on there as well just sharing their recommendations and you can also catch us normally once a month over on this on this stream with with film podcast as well we're a bit behind, it's really hard to yeah. get multiple records in when you're doing a book podcast, but um, we have got some episodes coming up for that as well we have got the brand new Nicolas Cage movie where he is becoming Nicolas Cage in his ultimate forms um, and also be talking about slacks as well, he can't be a film about killer trousers as always, I have been your host Mark Goddard and I'll see you next time